Welcome to the Ottawa University Chi Alpha Podcast. All right, this evening we're going to have a conversation about these two lovely words, faith and love. Uh, the reason we're having this conversation, uh, it started off with actually a conversation with another pastor in town uh, that we talk, I talk to frequently, usually through text messages because we haven't hung out yet for a little while, so we talk through text messages every now and then, but we were talking about this idea of faith and love, and some of the things that we've talked about, I will talk with you guys tonight about tonight, or possibly next week, but we're going to start off with these two words, faith and love. Um, in His infinite love, this is the kind of the banner statement for what we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks, but in His infinite love, God provided a way for salvation that is received by faith should we accept it. The reason we want, I want to talk about the differences or the juxtaposition of faith and love. It's a fun word. I'll stop using it. Sorry. Um, the, the reason we want to talk about these two words, these two ideas, especially in the faith, is because oftentimes we actually confuse what faith is and we confuse what love is. And I'll get into that. I'll get into that a little bit deeper. But in his infinite love, God provided a way for salvation. So love provided for salvation, but the way that we receive it is through faith. Okay? So what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. And that's fine. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. What's really funny is like there about th- yeah there's like five or six of you all of you started doing <laughs> bobbing the head sideways when I started singing and you just can't help it. Um, but what is love? Obviously, we're going to look into scripture. So First Corinthians thirteen. If you didn't know this already, it's literally called the love chapter. What I'm about to say to you and read to you is something I literally do at every single wedding I've ever performed, except the first two because I was young and kind of stupid. Um, and didn't know what I was doing. The first wedding I ever did lasted, a, I'm not kidding, a grand total of 15 minutes from when the bride walked in till she walked out. Um, the, the whole thing, ring ceremony, the whole thing, because I didn't know what I was doing, but he was my college roommate, and we were good friends, and he, he was okay with it. What was really fun, though, is that her whole family was, like, super Catholic, and so, like, a 15-minute wedding was really awkward for them. They were like, when are we going to do the rest of it? Um, <laughs> it was great. It's supposed to be outside, and it poured all day long. It was beautiful. It would have been. It was at this lake outside in Vermont. With You could see Canada in the background with the mountains. It was lovely, and it poured all day long. Um, but this, 1 Corinthians 13, if you ever go to a wedding, more than likely the whoever's officiating will read this portion of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is known as the love chapter. Love. All right, but this is what it says in just these few verses. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, I know that I say these things at weddings, but this is true not only inside of a marriage relationship, but this is true inside of any relationship you have. I'm going to say something. You do not 
fall in love. Gravity has nothing to do with it. It doesn't. Besides, gravity is a theory anyway. Anyway, we won't get into that. But, But if we look at every single one of these things, if we just, with the first sentence, just look at the first sentence where it says, love is patient and kind. Does gravity have any effect on you being patient or kind? Does gravity have any effect on you being jealous or boastful or proud or rude? Does gravity have anything to do with you not demanding your own way? Does gravity have anything to do with you not being irritable? I don't know. Maybe some of you are like, I'm a little irritated about gravity right now. I wish I could float sometimes. I don't know. Exactly. It always wants to bring you down. Um, does <laughs> That's stupid. Um, <laughs> does gravity have anything to do with any of the rest of those things? It does not. Every single one of these statements says this. Love is a choice. It doesn't happen to you. You don't happen to love somebody else because of gravity. You don't fall in love, nor do you fall out of love. And I know in your culture, you have heard both of those things. You may have, had, you may have parents that have told you, we just don't love each other anymore. This is not a diss on your parents or your grandparents or your relatives, whoever they may be, whoever you've heard this from. This is something for you to know so that way it's every single day you wake up and you choose to love. Is this important at a wedding? Yeah. But is this important with people that claim to love Jesus and want to show Christ's love to others? Also, yes. This is also an important thing to look at if we say the phrases like, I love God or I love Jesus. Because that means a billion different things. I could go down in the cafeteria during lunch and say, what does it mean to you? If I were to say, if you were to tell me that you love Jesus, what does that mean? And you would get all of these crazy answers. Very, very few of them would be based off of this. You might get a few of them. You might get that one or two persons that grew up in church or something like, well, love is patient and kind. You're like, shut up. I'm not on interview you anymore. Um, what does it actually mean to you? But what it actually is love, what does it mean to love Christ? Because we get this idea confused. So then if we know what love is, so then what is faith? Matthew 19, 16 through 24, this story you've probably heard, many of you may have heard before if you grew up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, totally fine. This story or this Well, it's not even a parable. This is an actual legit story that Jesus tells about, you may have heard it called the rich young ruler um, or the wealthy young man or whatever it is that your Bible may call it. But this is this story. Someone came to Jesus. Ah, someone. Anyway, um, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question... By the way, this is one of, I think, six times where Jesus answers a question directly. (laughs) Most of the time he replies with a question. Uh, I think it's actually less than six, so don't quote me on that. It's it's a very, it's less than ten. If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. So far, everybody's like, cool. 
I'm assuming everybody in the room is like, well, except for the serial killer back there. But everybody else, which is a great costume, by the way. But <laughs> Murder, cool. We don't do that. Okay. You must not commit adultery. I'm going to hope that we haven't done that. Uh, you must not steal, except for that one girl's heart. Um, you must not test... <laughs> I know, that's about as dumb as Kinder's joke. Um, you must not testify... I'm sorry. Uh, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy replies with this, I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. What else must I do? I feel like in this moment, the young man is like, oh, yeah, I've done all these things. I haven't, don't, worry about, don't worry about this. I've got all these things down. I haven't murdered nobody today. Or committed adultery or stolen anything or testified falsely. I've honored my parents. I love my neighbor as myself. I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. What else must I do, Jesus told him. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The dude was rolling in it. When Jesus said this to his disciples, I tell you the truth. Then Jesus said this to the disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some people have said that there's a gate called the eye of a needle and a camel couldn't go through it. That may be true. I don't really know. It may also be that Jesus was being very, very serious when he's like, it's hard to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Man, you got to grind that thing down really small. Just kidding. That's gross. Sorry. Um, but, <laughs> okay, but in this story, this, the reason we're looking at this because of faith, because faith, is what was missing in this young man's relationship with Christ. Was there love? Probably. Of course, I've, I've not murdered anybody. I've not committed adultery. I've honored my parents. I've not testified falsely. I've done all these things. See, I'm showing, look how, look, see, I'm showing you how much I love you. But then Jesus asks for one thing, and it's the one thing the guy doesn't, not can't give, but won't give. And that's faith. It's this idea of actually trusting. The reason he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because there's oftentimes, forget where it says rich person, think of anything that you have that holds you back from actually trusting God with everything. That's what faith looks like. You can love God all day long. You can love God your entire life. But if you have no faith, you have no relationship, and you have no salvation. Unfortunately. But faith is what's going on. Jesus knows that the guy, this young man, knows all the right things to say. He knows that this young man probably loves following Christ or loves following God, anyway, at this point in time, but loves following God because he's figured out a way to do it without actually having to put any trust or faith in it. Because my social and economic status up to this point has not been affected by actually laying down everything to God. So this story is all about faith. Salvation is not received by a desire to love Christ. Salvation comes through walking in faith.
this walking in faith thing is a choice that we do daily. It's very, very similar to how the Bible defines love. Because, again, like I said, we could go down to the calf and we can talk to whoever we want to talk to. Hey, define love for me. And you don't even have to say, define what, it, what, is, what is, if somebody says that they love Jesus, what does that mean to you? You don't even have to say that. Hey, would you just define love? Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should table one day just to find out what students think love actually is. What is love? Because you're going to get all sorts of answers. I'm not sure if I want some of those answers because I know some of them will be graphic and stupid. Um, but that's what we think. That's what our society, that's what your community thinks love is. We think love is a bunch of things that you're supposed to do. Now, love is a choice, but I choose to be patient and kind. I choose not to be envious. I choose not to hold on to things that I don't need to hold on to anymore because that conversation has been had and I have offered forgiveness or been offered forgiveness. And so I must move on from that conversation. I will not be envious or boastful or proud or rude. Why is this so important? Because at the end of that, it says love never fails. Love cannot fail because the Bible also defines love this way. God is love. It doesn't say God created love. It says God's being, his every essence, is in fact love. So in order to actually understand what love actually is, you have to have the faith to understand who God is. I don't get to define it by, well, I go to church and I'm part of FCA and Chi Alpha or whatever. I'm part of all these other things. I grew up in church. I went to youth camp one time, a long time ago, and went down to the front and you know gave my heart to the, to the Lord or something. That's great, but it requires a step of faith that is a continual walk until you're in the grave. And that relationship looks like this, just like every relationship in your life. Every relationship in your life has these ups and downs. There are some days you will really appreciate somebody. I didn't say love, because again, we need to be careful with how we use that word. But there are some days you will really appreciate somebody, and there will be other days where you appreciate how far away they are. It, it, it is what it is. Next month we'll be married for 12 years. Usually, it, it is what it is. There are some days I appreciate how close she is, and there are other days I appreciate the. No. But it's usually on those days where I'm I'm not choosing to love. Yeah, it's me. Uh, it's always it's always me. Uh, but I'm choosing not to love. But love and faith, in our culture, are two separate things. Because people, I love God, I love God. Okay, do you trust Him? Which is what happens in the story. This young man comes to Jesus like, of course I love God. Of course I do. I've done all the things that the Torah has commanded of me. They're religious law, the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus goes, okay, now trust Him. And the young man's like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) We'll stop with love. Love's cool. Not so much trust. So Ephesians 2, 8, 8, 9, and 10 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through love, 
No. Through liking Jesus, through attending church, no. Through being in the right small group, no. All those things help, by the way. So that way people can ask you questions like, that's great that you love God, but do you trust him? But it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. Because when we, in our culture, want to define love, it's the things that I do to show, to prove that I love. When that's not listed in 1 Corinthians 13 anywhere. But this is why it says you're saved through faith, so it's nothing you can do yourself. There's nothing you get to do about it. It's a gift from God. If I had a dollar bill and I said, this is yours, and I placed it there, if you got up and walked out of the room, that dollar bill is still there, but it's not yours. The gift is still there, but I have to choose to pick that dollar bill up. Now, that doesn't get you anything. Um, whatever, but <laughs> let's say it's $1,000 anyway. All right. Um, it is not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, which is also a fun statement, but I can't get into that today. Uh, But the story that we just talked about with the rich young ruler, not by works so that no one can boast. It's almost like this young dude came up to Jesus knowing, knowing what the answer was to the question that he had, that he wanted to ask. Lord, what, what does it take for me to be saved? (gasps) I'm awesome. Here's the keys to my Bentley. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. All the things. And Jesus answers him the way he was hoping. Keep the commandments. And the man's like, ha ha, but I have. What else must I do? Sell all that crap. Give it up. The stuff you're trusting in, get rid of it. Have faith in me. Sheesh. Truths to consider. I've got four of them. Salvation is restored and continued genuine relationship with God. Without salvation, without a relationship with God, you are a half-being walking around. You are lost. Without hope. Without direction. And there are a lot of people that be like, I have direction. Uh, this career or this person or this place that I want to live, or who cares what my career is as long as it makes this kind of money so they can live in this kind of a house and drive this kind of a car and blah, 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 blah. There's still no hope there. There's no hope of restoration in that. And you know this. You've seen this. We've seen this throughout history over and over and over again. These people who get these crazy contracts at your age, by the way, these crazy contracts to do a lot of what you guys are already doing, but athletes, but doing these sports that where they get silly money and all of a sudden they're playing at the highest level and there's still no fulfillment. You can even talk to guys that are playing at the highest level that have won the ring or that trophy that very few people ever get to see or wear or hold or whatever. Or if you're a hockey player, very few people get to kiss that Stanley Cup, whatever it may be. And yet they still feel empty inside because we have these goals that can't do anything for us. So without Christ, without this relationship, without hope, without joy, everything else might might be what we think is love. But without trust, without hope, without faith, there's no salvation. The second one is this. 
God's right to rule our lives is founded in who he is, not what he does. Well, he did all these things. Cool. He sent his son. Also cool. But his right to your life is in simply who he is. So I must choose to put my faith and my trust in who he is, regardless of the outcome. This is what the the men and women of the Old Testament chose to do that are found in Hebrews chapter 12, which is the faith chapter. It's just called the faith chapter because it's all these people that, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. Yeah, it's it's in there. Um, But all these people in the Old Testament, they had to walk by faith. They had to walk by faith. By love, Noah built an ark. I love rain. I don't know. By faith, he built an ark. Rahab, by faith, hid the the prostitute, by the way, who was Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother, uh, but hid the spies so the Israelites could conquer Jericho. Maybe more greats are in there. I don't know. She's related to Jesus. Anyway, um, but God's right to rule our lives is found on who he is, not what he does. He could send his son every single day, and it wouldn't be why we, he has a right to our lives. He has a right to your life and he has a right to my life because of who he is. Okay? God's right, God is right, wise, and real. Therefore, he is out to save us from selfishness, stupidity, and unreality. Most, the grand majority of the people you hang out with at this university are walking around in an unreality. Here's why. The things that are invisible are more real than the things that are visible. But we don't get to actually realize that or actual, I don't know, there's a word there that just skipped out of my head. But we don't get to realize that until we do this one thing, and that is put our faith in Jesus. It just doesn't happen. And the last one is this. The first commandment is to trust God, not just to believe in Him. Because man, at a Christian university, I absolutely used air quotes. The only thing Christian about this university is a flag that hangs on the flagpole. You know this to be true. I've said this before to many faculty and his staff. Only one's been offended. He's not here anymore. But Here's the thing. You can believe in God. You can absolutely believe that he exists. The rich young ruler believed that God exists, existed. In fact, he did things to show that he loved who God was. But when God looks him straight in the eye and says, I love that you love me. I love that you believe in me, but I'm asking you to trust me. That's when the rich young ruler goes, can't do it. I can't do it. What if God is asking for your future? Some of you, a more difficult question, what if God is asking for your past? What was that? <laughs> what if, oh man, what if God is asking for your present the relationships you're in now. 
Fun fact. He is asking for your past, your present, and your future so that you can walk in reality without surrendering those things in trust, in faith to God. We are walking around in unreality. It's a fun word. I don't know if it's an actual word. It may not be in the dictionary, but it's a fun word to say. Your friends who are far from Jesus are walking around in unreality. And if you say and do nothing, you're letting them. That's not love. Because love is patient and kind. It's not boastful, it's not rude, it's not proud, it's not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. If it's simply left it here, you shall love the Lord your God this is where it's easy. This is believing that he exists. The grand majority of Americans believe that God exists. The grand majority of the world believe that something exists beyond themselves. That's great that you believe in God, that you believe in Jesus. The Bible literally says, you believe that there's one God? That's fantastic. Even the demons believe that. This is, this is what the Bible is saying. Way to go. Sunshine. Whoop-de-doo. You believe that there's God? Oh, man. Glad we got that figured out. But that's what we go around. That's how we go around behaving. That's, that's how I behave sometimes. You shall love the Lord your God. Awesome. Mm, but it goes further than that with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your past, with all of your present, and all of your future. It's difficult to actually love, to actually trust, to actually have faith. So I rewrote it. Now, this is not... This is just simply a rewriting to help better understand what the word in this sentence actually means. You see love, and he's like, well, the guy said he loved Jesus, okay, but we're talking about faith. And the kind of love that is necessary, that is asked from us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, requires more than just a belief in something. You shall love holy trust without reservation or reserve. I would wager that there are few people in your life that you actually put your entire faith and trust in. Maybe there's one or two that that faith, that trust is sort of there and growing, but I'm saying all of it. This is what Jesus does with the rich young ruler. You have given me a few things, and that's great. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to get rid of everything that is holding you back from actually trusting me. That is a tall order. We look at this and be like, oh, well, he was rich, so it was difficult. 
That would be difficult for any of us. Go home. Get rid of everything that I put in the way of actually trusting God with all of me, with all of my past, with all of my present, and with all of my future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you because you are a God who is so good, who is so kind. You are a God who pursues us. You are a God who loves us. God, I pray that in the next few moments you would open our hearts, you would open our eyes to see the things that are lodged deep within our hearts. Maybe not even deep, maybe they're surface level, but things that we are refusing to give up and fully trust you in. God, we are looking, we are desperate for a deeper relationship with you. God, I thank you for all that you have done, for all that you will do. And in your name I pray, amen.